My name is Troy Nicholson, and um, I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Safe Haven. We've been going through the book of Exodus together, and if this is your first time, we journey straight through books of the Bible. That's just what we do by habit, and also what we do by conviction. It really is a conviction that we can't come up with anything better than God's already given us. Um, So at Safe Haven, you're not going to hear a lot of life hacks and how to be a better person. Um, we're just going to focus on, hey, this is what God's given us, and it is sufficient and enough. And so we just dive through the text and let it speak to us. We've journeyed all the way through Exodus chapter uh, 15. I do not have time to uh, recap that, but you can always go to the website. Please visit our website. We have a log of everything we've ever taught through. We've actually taught through 22 books of the Bible, line by line, verse by verse, and, and God has been gracious to us through all that, hasn't he? Um, and, and so now we're in the book of Exodus. Uh, we're going to go through 15, 22, 17, 7 today. But here's just kind of a recap where we were last week to reboot our minds, attentions, and hearts, affections on, on the text. Um, the children of Israel has just been saved. They've crossed the Red Sea. And uh, the Lord split the waters, made them stand up. They crossed through on dry land. All of the Egyptians and Pharaoh who have been holding them captive were drowned in the sea. And so they're on the other side of the Jordan, um, on the other side of the Red Sea after this just moment. And uh, they're turning back and they worshiped. And if you remember last week, it culminated with a song. You're, you guys remember that? Moses wrote a song. It was the song of Moses. And we looked at how in the song he celebrated so many facets of God's miraculous work on their behalf. Um, And that song of Moses is still being sung today according to Revelation 15 in heaven. The angels still sing the song of Moses. And so it's this culmination of this great song. Worship has erupted. They sang this song because it was birthed out of fear, out of faith, out of worship. That was the three points last week. And then Miriam, his sister, ends the song by grabbing some tambourines and some line dancers and they have a hoedown. Um, right on the edge of... That's not a joke. That's really true. So if you're like, oh, is he trying to be funny? He's not really funny. I'm, I'm not trying to be funny. That's what the Bible says happened. Um, so they do this, and they have this grand, glorious moment. But how quick worshipful moments can turn right back into Grumbling. Three days later, this is where we pick up the text. Exodus 15 is going to be this circle, if you will, of grumbling, God-giving gifts, grumbling, God-giving gifts, grumbling, God-giving gifts. And I think the lesson out of that is, why does that circle occur? Like, why does God allow that to occur? And if we're honest, it probably occurs in our own lives. And so maybe we can learn something if God be gracious to us through his text. All right, all that to say, let's jump in to grumbling and undeserved gifts part one. Um, Shocker, um, maybe not shocker is the word I was looking for. Um, Spoiler, I guess the word. Uh, This is going to happen three times (laughs) over and over. So this is part one. Chapter 15, 22, um, let's, let's dive into the text. So then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, this grand, glorious moment, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness, and they found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. So we've got an issue now with the water. Uh, the water is bitter, bitter water. I think you can probably look at this in, in two, de- two ways if you're trying to figure out what the word bitter here means. There's, number one would be a bitter in taste. Maybe it just doesn't taste good. 
I don't think that's what's going on in the text. Uh, Not that it just doesn't taste good, because their complaint is God is sending a plague upon us just like he did the Egyptians. So I don't think it was just that they didn't like... uh, Maybe it wasn't Dasani, that crystal clear Dasani taste. I don't think it had to do with taste. I think what's going on here is it's bitter, not as in taste, but bitter as in... Raise your hand if you've ever been on a mission trip and they've warned you of Montezuma's revenge. <laughs> I think that's probably what's going on here because that kind of fits more of the context of, oh my gosh, are we under a plague? Um, if you've never had this, um, I, I've taken several mission trips. The church that we planted from, they've planted several orphanages. and We used to go to the Dominican Republic all the time. The first time I went, they said, hey, be careful. Don't drink the water. And I'm like, hey, what's going to happen with the water? Because I'm a hypochondriac. All the hypochondriacs in the room, you feel me right now. I'm like, don't tell me something bad's going to happen. And they're like, well, you know, the water could cause all kind of issues. Don't drink the water. And I'm like, I won't drink the water. I will close my, I will duct tape my eyeball shut in the shower to make sure that no water is going to get in. You, you know what this is like. Goes on to say this. And so the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we going to drink? And so Moses cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. And he threw it into the water, and the water then became sweet. If you underline your Bible, you need to underline this next line. It is the key that unlocks, in my opinion, the whole book of Exodus and what God's doing. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and he tested them there. Saying, If... You will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in His eyes and give ear to His commandments and keep all His statutes. Then I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Catch it. He's giving them in this moment both a common grace and a very special grace. And we're we're not going to stop here because this is going to repeat itself. So we'll we'll keep going to see what happens. But if if you're like me, if you're like me, hard-headed, maybe you identify already with these people. So prone to worship. And then all of a sudden, so prone to grumble. And then the Lord gives us these amazing gifts. And then we just grumble again. Let's keep going. Part 2. Chapter 16 now. We've made it into chapter 16, verse 1. So then they set out from Elam. And all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the fifteenth day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness... I mean, they have just been given an oasis from the Lord. And now they're grumbling again. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you've brought us into the wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Thanks a lot, Lord. Thanks a lot. We were thirsty, and you gave us water and coconuts. And we want roast and Hawaiian rolls. Sound familiar? 
He gave him coconuts. Straight out of the desert. But we want gravy. We're thirsty. Here's you, here's you several oases. You can swim in it. You can drink it. You can do whatever you want. We want the meat pot. We want spam that we had back in Egypt, Lord. If you really loved us, you'd give us that filet Tyler was talking about. And if you love the Lord, you'll bring filet tonight. Um, <laughs> verse 4, or whatever, yeah, 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. Here it is again, lest you think I'm crazy. Underline it. That I may do what? That I may test them. I'm trying to test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he's heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against Him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but is against the Lord. Justification of complaining by diversion. So very, very good. Can't tell you how many times... I meet someone who just finds themselves in a season of grumbling. And I, usually my first question in the season of grumbling is, hey, let's, let's, let's think through this first. Are you frustrated with the Lord? Do you, like, do you really trust the Lord? And 99.9% of the time, here's what I hear. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not frustrated with the Lord. I'm frustrated. This person, this situation, this, 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 that's exactly what they're doing, isn't it? They're not willing to admit the satisfaction of their own soul is that they don't trust in God's sovereignty. And so they complain about Moses and Aaron. No, no, no. it's not God that we don't trust, it's Moses. It's not God that we don't trust, it's Aaron. It's not God that we don't trust, it's the fact that I don't have this or I want this or this. Or it's, it's complaining. Be careful. Be careful lest we fall into justification of our own sinfulness by diversion. Your fault. Your fault. It's not my fault. Right? When ultimately it's God that they're frustrated with. In other words, I don't, I don't question God. Well, if that's where you find yourself, yet your life is full of nothing but grumbling, you might want to do a soul check of your own heart and see what's going on. Verse 9, Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. He's so, he's so gracious to us, isn't he? That despite our grumbling, so prone to still show us his own glory. They're complaining. I'll still show them my... That's grace. And then the Lord said to Moses... I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God, 
And so in the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And the morning dew lay all around the camp. Meat and bread that they did not work for, that they did not toil for, that they just complained about, yet God graciously gave it to them. How kind. How kind of our Lord. Sounds too good to be true. Almost like he's testing them. Goes on to say this. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing. Fine as frost on the ground. And you thought Tony the Tiger came up with frosted flakes. (laughs) Alas, Kellogg's did not. This is where it comes from. Verse 15. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It's the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered, they gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little, they had no lack, and each of them gathered as much as they could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over until the morning, but they did not listen to Moses. No shockers here, right, church? And some left part of it till morning, and it bred worms, and it stank. And Moses was angry with them. And morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that's left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning. And Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. And Moses said, Eat it today. For today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather, but on the seventh, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. And so on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather. (laughs) Does anyone else want to scream at these people? What is wrong with you? (laughs) Yes, your brains are, what are you doing? Yes. Which they probably, oddly enough, are screaming at us from heaven right now. What are you doing? Why did you not learn from us? Why do you keep not listening? I can hear them right now. Oh, Jedediah screaming at us. But they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? This is the test. See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, He gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in His place. Let no one go out. On his play, of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna, or miraculous food. Miraculous food. It's miraculous free food. So if that's the case, we should all walk into manna this afternoon. <laughs> Be like, hey, is this free grub? It was like coriander seed, white. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. And Moses said, this is what the Lord's commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. It's a big test. The whole trial is a big test. 
of whether or not they would trust the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar, put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. I'm assuming this is in the Ark of the Covenant to this day, wherever that bad boy is. One day, that's one of the things in heaven that I'm going to want to see. And if it is indeed just like a frosted flake, I'm going to be sadly disappointed. Well, we had these, Lord. Um, As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. And the people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. How gracious! 40 years! I fed you! And they ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And now let's pause and see if we can see the pattern. I know that's a lot of reading of the text today, but I think it's helpful. I think it's helpful to read in the context, again, rather than just this crazy story of God dropped some stuff on the ground um, with some Krispy Kreme glaze on it, and they ate it, and, and there's the, you know, now let's sing a kid's song. I think, it's, I think it's good to sit under it and feel the context and the weight of all that's going on. So that's why we read it all this morning. But did you see the pattern? Did you see the grumbling? I think we can see basically three types of grumbling. And if you will, when I read through these, do you identify with these? Like, is this a marker of your life? Three types of grumbling, if we look a little deeper. Number one, they were grumbling over unmet expectations. Is your life marked by grumbling of unmet expectations that you have placed upon the Lord? We don't deserve to lack, Lord. Right? We don't deserve that. It's this grumbling. Give me better food. It's a lack of contentment with what we have. Is this mark your life? A mark a grumbling. I don't want it, to. It's right. It's easy to talk about them back in the day of unmet expectations and 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 getting no water or whatever. How about this? I don't want to live in this neighborhood. I want a bigger neighborhood. Oh, Troy, just keep talking about the bread. That's funner. I don't want this car. I want a better car. Lord, my kids are nuts. I want some good kids. (laughs) My nose, Lord, my nose. It's too big. I wish I had hair. Can I get amen bark? Come on, give me one. Got all the bald brothers near my Michael, come on. Now, we got a lot, Zach. We have a lot of bald people, Brett. Yeah, we have a lot of bald people in this room. I want this, Lord. I want this. When we do that, we're no different than the people of Israel wandering in the desert complaining about bread. It's grumbling. They grumbled over what once was. Oh, but I used to have this. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, that was really nice back there. Lord, why do I not have that anymore? They're looking back to the pagan plenty. I couldn't come up with a better word. The pagan plenty. We got to eat the meat in Egypt. They're wanting to go back to the pagan living just because it satisfies their soul better than what they think the Lord is satisfying their soul with. Grumbling. Grumbling. And then ultimately they're grumbling over God's sovereignty. You have us here. Why? Right? I deserve to thrive. And this desert living is killing me. I don't deserve to suffer. How can I trust a God who lets me wander 
in the wilderness traveling on my exodus till I reach the big red sea and all the rest is history. How can I trust you? You're letting me go through these things? How can I trust you? It's grumbling. It's grumbling. This is the pattern. I think we should think through that. In the Christian life, who God has said, I have given you everything you need for life and godliness, to the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glorious goodness, do we trust Him? Is His word enough? Or do we look at the obstacles and go, I can't trust you because of this situation. Guys, that, that can't be us. Let's learn from the nation of Israel. Grumbling. And then after the grumbling, this is the grace. This is what sets us free. It's these undeserved gifts. And it's the undeserved gifts of common grace, but also special grace. He meets their grumbling with common graces. That's the Lord. That's just the Lord. And I don't think it's wrong for us to look at the common graces that we have in life that He's given us as a reason to worship Him. I don't think that's wrong at all. And common graces He gives them are water and bread. I want you to finish this for me. (laughs) If I don't get a bite to eat, if I don't get just something to drink, I am going to to die, I'm going to starve. (laughs) I'm going to starve to death. Now this phrase right here usually typically comes up in a long car ride. (laughs) And it's hardwired in us from birth. Like you didn't have to teach your kids to say that. I'll never forget our kids heading on trips. And that's that's one of the... I mean, if I don't get something to drink, I'm going to die. If I don't get something to eat, I'm going to die. And if you have a loving father like my kids have, (laughs) you too have probably heard these words. Well, drink your spit. (laughs) (laughs) and you can probably find a french fry in the floorboard (laughs) nibble on it all you want right that's only us who have loving parents (laughs) and are our loving parents but it's hardwired and I think what's going on here is God designed us to be dependent on food and water for a reason have you ever thought about that two of the most Elementary, fundamental, basic things in life. He's hardwired us to have that feeling of, if I don't have a drink, I'm going to die. If I don't have a bite, I'm going to die. I think that's on purpose. Have you ever asked the question why? I think he goes all the way back to the garden. That's where I think this all stems from. That's, I think you have that craving all the way back to the garden. And here's why I say that. You'll remember, Adam fell... And the first curse after his fall was this, By the sweat of your brow you shall till the soil to give you bread. All the way back. And I think this is on purpose because every single time we sweat all the way back from Adam, it reminds us that sin has very real real consequences. It should remind us when you're cutting your grass and you sweat and you feel the, the, the bead drop off your head... It should remind us, wow, sin, this wasn't before, this didn't happen before the fall. This is reminding me of something. And therefore, every time we eat, be reminded that even though we sweat until the soil, ultimately God has to cause the growth for us to be able to eat. So every time we sweat, we go, my sin has real consequences. And every time you take a bite of that fatty cheeseburger, 
It's only by God's grace that I have this bacony goodness. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. I think it's to remind us of these things. So they grumbled. They were given these common graces. They got their food. They got their water. They, he, he gives them in abundance. <laughs> he gives them in abundance every day all that they need. And on the weekends, so that they... This is common grace. So that on the Sabbath, Saturday, so they can rest fully, he gives them double abundance the day before. And they complain about that too. We're going to tiptoe out here to see if God's for real. <laughs> so silly. They grumble. He gives them all these graces. He gives them this miracle through this, <laughs> this I don't know what to call it, maybe a filtration log. I don't know. He, they throw it in there. The water's no longer bitter. I don't, I don't know how to explain that other than this is just a miraculous moment. He gives that to them as a common grace. He gives them the oasis miracle with these springs and these palm trees and these coconuts. and He gives them a quail shoot that doesn't even require a gun. I mean, the quail just fall everywhere. He's like, you want meat? Here you go. I'm imagining pigeons everywhere. That's just, they're gross. Pigeons are gross. Doves everywhere, right? Just catch them. He gives them all that. He gives them manna. Every single one of these things, just like our common graces, screaming to us, never doubt me, my child. Never doubt me. We're the most blessed nation in the history of mankind. Not a one of you walked here. Not a one of you don't have clothes on. Not a one. Yet we're so prone. I'm going to say complain. But for those of you who know me well, I want to say some other words. We grumble and moan so frequently. So they do this. God's so gracious to us. Have you paused to thank the Lord lately? For all your common graces. If you don't get anything else out of today, maybe that will be the takeaway. Walk out of this door and start thanking the Lord. That's some of the best prayers. I can't, one of our kids, like many of you, I can't remember which one it was. You know, when we're learning prayer times and, and, and they sat down and, you know, <laughs> y'all been through this. They start praying for everything. Lord, I want to thank you. And I'm like, all right, let's shut it down, let's eat. And I got a lot to thank you for, Lord. I want to thank you for the piggy bank. I want to thank you for the oatmeal cream pies. I want to thank you for the sand. I want to thank you for the ball. I want to thank you for my skateboard. I want to thank you for the bicycle. I want to thank you for the trees. I want to, they want to thank for everything except for their brother and sister. <laughs> everything. And we're like, wrap it up, wrap it up, wrap it up. So pure, so good, and so very right. Do you thank the Lord for the common graces in your life, despite our grumbling? But then he also gives special graces. And the special grace is the divine teaching and the divine testing. Don't miss it. If we're not careful, we'll walk away from this moment thinking that the whole point is for them to focus on the manna, and it's not. The whole point is the testing. Yes, it's awesome that in common grace the Lord lets us have trinkets and treasures. That's cool. But the point of the whole text is that in His grace, He loves us enough to test us by trials. 
That part we don't want to listen to, but it's the best. It's way better than manna. Where do you see that in the text, Troy? Well, Israel began believing that they were going to be abandoned by God just like Egypt. They thought they were going to get the plagues. They thought they were going to get all these things, right? So God tested them to see if their allegiance was indeed, catch this, is your allegiance to me or to what I offer? And there's a massive chasm of difference there. Do you love the Lord for who He is in and of Himself? Or do you love the Lord for what He offers? He is what He offers. Hence the testing. I'm going to test you. You are complaining about the stuff you had in Egypt. When you have me, the divine creator of the universe... The Godhead three in one, the fullness of glory divine. Are you satisfied with me? Or do you just want more stuff? And so he tests them. And in this special grace, he hits them where they feel it the most in the stomachs. And we don't feel the weight of this text because we're spoiled. we're, We're spoiled. He hits them where they need it the most. I said this before, but realize we really are an anomaly in history, church. We're an anomaly. I mean, the fact that when we want bread, we walk to the pantry is a, is a historical anomaly. Or if, if we're out of, at the pantry, we just go to the supermarket, right? Go down aisle number. I'm sure somebody here knows what aisle is. <laughs> Seven. Uh, grab tons of it. Grab Dave's bread, grab Wonder Bread, all the breads, right? It's an anomaly. But he hit them where they felt it the most. For them to get bread, they had to sweat. For them to get bread, they had to till the soil. For them to get bread, the barley had to rise. For them to get bread, they had to grab it, beat it out and grab the grains. They had to crush the grains and then create whatever flowery concoction they had. Then they had to bake the sucker and wait for it to rise he hit them where it, it meant something to them. Right? And it makes me wonder how God would test us today whether we fully trust in Him or not via special grace where it hits us the most. I just wonder. I rarely do this on Sunday mornings. We do it a lot on Wednesday nights. We speculate about all kind of things on Wednesday nights up in the upper room. That's why we don't videotape it. <laughs> so if you ever wonder what goes on, we're, we're asking all kind of questions when we go through systematic theology. Um, but I do wonder, if we were to feel something the most, would God have to hit us through a pandemic? Or an economic crash? Like a real one. Not where your 401k is slipping, but like where it crashes. We're not beyond that. Like, does that freak you out when I say that? Oh, I've worked so hard for that. I've saved so long for that. Right? Would, would it be there? I think the point is, it probably is more personal now, and it varies from person to person. Because we all have our idols, the things that satisfy us, right? 
where would he have to hit you? And I bring that to your mind to say this. In his divine special grace, don't think for a second that he won't actively test you right there at the very point of the pulse of your soul to see whether you worship that thing more than you worship him. we got to have bread! I'll give you some bread. Are you satisfied with it, though, for 40 years, eating a cracker? We want meat! You didn't really want bread. You always want something else other than me. And so he tests him. Will you listen to my voice? Or will you just run to me and whine when you're in trouble? I think that's what's going on in this text. It's a special grace. Will you depend on me daily? Will you depend on me moment by moment? Will you listen to the voice of the Lord, which requires close proximity? If I'm going to hear Audrey, we have to be in close proximity. We have I've got, to, I've, I've got to be around. And I think what God's doing is this. Do you love me enough to listen daily, to be within close proximity to me, to listen? Or will you just go do that thing when you want to, and when you eat the pods from the pigsty, and they run out, will you then come running back crying to me? Do you love me? Or do you love what I offer? grace. So he's testing them. Duckworth will love this. With an if-then. And it is an if-then. It's an if-then. We at Safe Haven Church firmly believe in God's sovereignty. There is no doubt about that. But we are a fairly odd anomaly that we don't just kind of swing to that pendulum. There is very much a if-then to life. We believe in concurrence. If you do this, then I will do that. If you don't do this, then I will not do that. That's, we're not going to rip that out of the Bible. This is one of those moments. And so this if-then teaching is very applicable to us today. He's going to test his children because he loves his children. If you wonder why the Lord tests us, it's because he loves us. In this moment, he's not content with allowing them to be intoxicated by all the trinkets that the world has to offer, even when it comes to food and what they desire most. He says, I'm more valuable than that. He's not content with allowing you to be drugged with those things, toxins, straight to the pit of hell. I'll test you to see your heart because I love you and I want you. Those whom the Lord loves, Hebrews tells us, He also disciplines. Disciplines. This is a form of discipline. And He lets us walk in the valleys because in the valleys is where we find the shepherd first and foremost. Isn't that true, church? We all want to walk on the mountaintops. Frankly... Because on the mountaintops, we kind of get a little strutty, don't we? Feels good. You're like, Troy, that's not strutting. That's (laughs) like you need a therapist. (laughs) Uh, Right? 
Because when we're walking on the mountaintop, we can put the crown on. I'm the king. I'm the king. And the Lord says, either I don't love you, and I let you wallow in that mess straight to hell, or I love you enough to take it all away and get you right back here in the valley where all you can do is go. I need you. I need you. He loves us. And so, does God actively test His children, church? Yes. He does. And never buy into the prosperity gospel that says otherwise. Now, I better stop there, or I will rant and rave for about two hours, and our potatoes will burn. Let's go ahead, read through the rest of the text, and then we'll have a few concluding thoughts. Chapter 17, we've made it into. We'll just read verses 1 through 7. And so all the congregation of the people who were moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidium. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses, <laughs> grumbling again, and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Shut up! <laughs> Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and taking your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. That's good right there. We don't have time, but man, that is good. And pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of of the elders of Israel. How dare you question the fact that you can trust me because you're not eating meat and you're not drinking sweet tea. How dare you? I can make that stuff come out of a rock by hitting it with a stick. That's the God we worship. And this miracle is indeed definitive. And that miracle will ultimately be the rose, and if you know your Bible, why Moses doesn't get to cross over into the promised land. Oh, that's a good one there. Because Moses even questions after a while. We're prone to go, oh, Moses is the good one in this story. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. In just a minute, he's going to strike this rock twice, and God's going to go, what are you doing? I told you to strike it once and speak to it after that. You're not listening to me either. So therefore, Moses, all these grumbling people, they're going to get to go on into the land, and you, brother, are going to die right on the other side. And we all go, what? (laughs) What? And you just have to bow before God's sovereignty. He can do what He wants to do, with who He wants to do, how He wants to do it, whether we like it or not. Why? Because He's God. He has the ultimate trump card. He's God. And so, uh, verse 7, I I said we're going to wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. 
And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? That's it. That's it, church. What does that do to your heart? I know what this is doing to my heart as I've been studying it this week. What does that do to your heart? Do you trust the Lord or do you not trust the Lord? Do you, do you believe He's good or not? I told y'all a second ago that song could not be more fitting. Does that make sense now? What a song. Will we trust the Lord in the midst of the valley and the mountains? Will we trust Him? If we're not careful, our tendency is to ask, why on earth does God not just wipe this fickle people straight off the planet? If we're, if we're not careful, that's what we'll say. But if we're thoughtful, it'll be worshipful to ask, why on earth has the Lord not wiped me straight off of this planet? Why on earth? He's been so gracious. Because I'll be the first one to say, I'm way worse than these people. Way worse. And safe haven, that's why you hear us say a lot and have just printed you up some t-shirts to remind you that it is all grace upon grace. It's grace. It's just grace. Conclusionary thoughts, five of them. Number one, I think out of this text, um, these people are given food to eat and water to drink, and they still die. (laughs) They still die. Stuff cannot have ultimate supremacy in our life. I think that's one of the things I've been thinking about through this text. Stuff cannot have supremacy in our lives. He who dies with the most toys still dies. Still dies. He just has a garage full of stuff, or his grandkids do. Um, It's not worth it for you and your family to fight over stuff. Not worth it. It's not worth it. And I would argue this, if you find yourself and your family fighting over stuff, it's immature, it's silly, and I would argue it's godless. It's godless. Stop. Fighting over stuff is so dumb. Is Christ enough or not? Number two, it's one thing to trust the Lord... When he brings you right out of the water, isn't it? Like they were all trusting, singing songs, shaking tambourines. But it's one thing to trust the Lord when you're right, right out of the water, but it's a whole other thing to trust the Lord when you don't have anything. That's when chips fall where they may. When you have nothing, will you trust him? God has said he will be with his covenant children, and him saying that is plenty enough for us to trust him. Because he said it. That's it. So that settles it. The valleys of life are good things for us. You can trust him. Number three. Listening to God is the highest spiritual discipline we can have. When it comes to prayer, Bible study, evangelism, missions, listening is the highest spiritual discipline we can have, I think. Why? Because our God is not a last-time God. He's a this-time God. But you did it this way last time. Strike the rock. It must work again, and it must be what you want me to do this time. Strike the rock. Time out, Moses. Are we willing to listen this time 
to what God's doing in our lives. Daily, often, always asking, Lord, speak, Lord, speak, Lord, speak, Lord, speak, Lord, speak. Number four, God does indeed actively test His children. Just write down this verse, Deuteronomy chapter 8, 1 through 4. In Deuteronomy, Moses explains exactly why this occurs. The Lord says this, You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. He did this that He might humble you, testing you to know what's in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. So He humbled you. He let you hunger. He let you be fed with manna, which you did not know, which your fathers did not know, that He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Well, you listen every time. Because I think a lot of times we think of God kind of like Uber Eats. Right? Uh, hey, uh, God, uh, 205, da, 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 da. Hey, God, um, here's my order. <laughs> if you could kindly drop it off at the door so that you don't get me all icky and convicted. And if you're lucky, Lord, I'll leave you a nice little tip. It's ridiculous the way we treat the holy God of the universe. So he tests his children. Do you love me? Or do you just want me to deliver you something? Like your gopher boy. And number five. We're more dependent on God's divine bread and water than ever before. I think the whole thing is to show us how much we need Christ. That's the whole point of the text. All of Exodus happened to show us why we need the gospel. All of it. The whole thing. But Troy, we sure talked for 45 minutes right now about a lot of other stuff, and now you're telling me, yes, forget everything I just said. It's all about Jesus. The whole thing is pointing to our need for Jesus. All of it. We don't need just more emotional moments in church. makes me want to vomit. So many churches today are... What we need is we need people to have an emotional experience. Then they'll know that they felt the Lord. Right? Do you know that some churches have staged clappers in their congregation? Do you know that? You think I'm kidding with you. I'm not. Some people have staged responders in their church. You think I'm kidding with you. And alas, I am not. In this town... Staged people, when the invitation is given, that they are the first ones to move. They're told to move, and they come down to let other people feel free to begin to move. What kind of garbage is that? And all of this to cultivate an emotional moment so that people can feel something. Right? What we need to feel... (laughs) is that the work of the cross is enough. That's what we need to feel. That when Christ has brought up His supremacy, His sufficiency, His atonement, His sacrifice, we should feel that. Like we should not walk away with church and go, boy, we had a good day at church. Well, why do we have a good day at church? Because Casey hit the note. 
She sang, and Elisa, she sang the harmony. It was so good, and the Lord showed up, and he was just, why? Everybody's crying. It felt so good. No! We should walk away and go, we had church. And somebody go, tell me what happened. And you go, we just talked about Jesus. That's what we did. Boy, did anybody cry? No, not a person. Not one person cried. We talked about Jesus. Well, did anybody shout? No, no, no. We just reflected on the fact that he was perfect and sinless and we're not. And he came and lived the substitutionary life that we couldn't live. And he gives us the fullness of glory divine. He gave us his righteousness and he took away our unrighteousness. That's church. We should walk away and go, we had church. Well, well, what else happened? Tell me more. You're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe it. We had communion after that. Oh, once a quarter? Heck no! Every Sunday! Well, that seems boring. What happened at the communion table? It was so good. People walked up there, and they grabbed the cup, and they thought about the fact that they needed water that satisfied. And they drank the cup to remember the blood that poured from the side of our Savior. And then they took the wafer, And they remembered that man's bread could not sustain. And Christ said, I've got a bread that will feed you forever. And we just thought about that. And so I ate the cracker, and it crunched in my mouth. Well, that doesn't sound real fun. You'd be like, well, you should have heard about the day we had the wafers, and they tasted like styrofoam. (laughs) What What else did you do? That's it. I just came to the table and I just contemplated the gospel. And it was enough. It was enough. Why was it enough? Because Christ said he's enough. So I had church. We're more dependent upon God's divine bread and water than ever before. Is Christ enough for you? Church, you know what's not in the Bible? Flashing lights. You know what's not in the Bible? Smoke. You know what's not in the Bible? Like all these stringed instruments and stuff. I'm not demonizing. Don't hear me. Please don't hear me demonizing. That's not, God can use anything. God can use a bubblicious bubblegum wrapper to save somebody. That's why he's God. But you know what is consistently in the Bible? Thinking about our need for bread. In Exodus, God gives these people bread for 40 years so that they would trust in him. Christ shows up on the scene, people are hungry. They don't think they can trust in him. He says, hey, what we got? We got a couple of pieces of bread and some sardines. What does he say? Bring them to me. And he starts busting bread apart. Everybody eats it. Everybody's full. Then they get hungry again. And they go, hey, your bread ran out. He goes, I I got some bread that will satisfy you forever. They go, well, where's that one at? He says, 
It's me. I'm that bread. In the Lord's Prayer, He commands us to pray a specific prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. And at communion, he breaks the bread and he says, This bread is my body. This wine, it's my blood. And on the cross, as the soldier came up and pierced our Savior's side, as Isaiah says, as it pleased the Father to strike the Son. I'm telling you, all of Exodus goes back to the cross. Out of his side began to flow blood and water. We grumble. God gives us common graces. God tests us to teach him. And at the answer at the end of it all, we ultimately just find Christ himself standing going, I'm all that you've ever needed. Will you trust in me? Thanks for hanging in there. I know today was long. I think the reason it was wrong is cause, long is because the elders and staff went away on a retreat this weekend and they gave me time to rest and here we go. <laughs> you get all kind of time. Um, I'm going to end with this as the band comes back up. We all know we grumble. But maybe you still question, okay, yeah, the Lord lets us go through trials. Why? 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 I hear you saying it's to test me and to teach me His love and all that kind of stuff. Maybe the best way I could illustrate it is this. I'm a hugger. It is what it is. It's a disease. Me and me and Tucker. <laughs> uh, some of y'all are huggers. There's some huggers in this room. COVID killed all of us huggers. It's the worst thing ever. Um, but there's some good hugs. There's some okay hugs. There's some people who like despise hugs, and you're like, hey, the best hug is a high five. <laughs> like that's some of y'all. Um, some of the best hugs, the, the, the best hugs are injury hugs. Here's what, our kids, all of them have done all kind of crazy things. Um, but I will never forget one of our kids was learning how to ride a bicycle. Um, and and he, he fell off the bicycle and had the skint knee. And I'll never forget, I mean, sitting in Mall Mill, I... I can see the bike, I can see everything, and I can he just he jumps up and I mean just latches on me like a monkey. I mean just and I'm laughing. I'm like, buddy, you're okay, you're okay. And he's like looking at me. 
to see, like, am I really okay? And he's just holding, and Dad, it hurts. And I'm like, hey, buddy, be okay. We'll fix it up, and all the things. And I'll just never forget, in that moment, him learning that he could trust his dad. Sometimes even through pain. If you're going through something, you're wondering how God could possibly use that. Maybe, just maybe, it's so you'll not grumble against Him, but jump up and just hold on to Him and give Him a big hug and be like, hey, going on? Let's pray together. Lord, I'm honestly just partly frustrated. I mean, God, I know there were some things I should not have said that just should not have come out of my mouth. And And I pray anything that I have said to distract from your word, that you just swipe it away. God, I don't distract from the sufficiency of the cross. We got anything out of the text that teaches us to love you more dearly, to trust you more fully, to see you as more glorious. It sits and grows deep within our souls. God, that we'll see that through our grumbling, you're not caught off guard. And just, that we'll see through our trials that you're not absent. And that through it all, God, we would see the rock that you struck with the fullness of your wrath so that we could drink of Christ's sufficient water, living water forevermore that satisfies not just our parched tongues, but that satisfies our parched souls that need a substitutionary Savior. Thank you for the cross of Christ Jesus.